My Mum Made Me, the show about the wonderful and sometimes the weird ways in which our mums make us who we are today. Hi, it's Paul here. I really hope you're enjoying the show and I'm going to ask you a favour if you are. Please do follow us. If you do, you'll get to hear all of the episodes first and of course it helps with my self-esteem. I'm only joking. Don't forget to rate us. We're currently on 4.9 stars, which is really exciting and every rating makes my mum, Teresa, laugh just a little bit more. I mean, I had the real privilege of speaking to someone who I think we all know from the telly Spencer Matthews, who used to be one of the main characters on a show called Made in Chelsea, now runs a very successful low-alcohol spirits brand. Um, and we were talking about a whole bunch of stuff, uh, actually for my work, um, about you know how he set up his business and his influences and his family and sobriety. And he's a really, really interesting guy. We also got to talk a bit more about um, his relationship with his parents, actually specifically his dad, um, and also his brother who um, tragically died summiting Everest. Uh, and Spencer is um, in the process of producing a, a tv series actually with bear grills where he goes up everest to try and reclaim um his brother's body so like hugely hugely like brave um guy and, and super interesting stories and um, i told my mum uh about spencer well sort of I, I kind of wanted to sort of see if she had heard of, of him uh, I asked her, had she ever watched Made in Chelsea? Her response was, hi, and unsure of what you are referring to, Paul, semicolon. I love you and you are so very special and you are so loved and you matter and I know that you love me too, hugs and kisses. Which is lovely, but didn't quite answer the question. I said, Made in Chelsea, the TV show. She said, sorry for never watching this programme because it is important now to you and for yourself. Paul, semicolon, I love you and you are so very special and you are loved and you matter and I know that you love me too. So suffice to say that my mum loves me, um, which is wonderful, um, but she has never heard of nor watched Made in Chelsea. Um, and so I'm putting Spencer um, on this uh, podcast, I'm putting the excerpt of the conversation where he talks about um, his family so that my mum can discover the wonderful human being that he is um, and also perhaps maybe check a sneaky peek of old series of Made in Chelsea. I want to take a little bit of a step back. Um, a, a lot of people who start businesses, um, whether it be a side hustle or it's their kind of main event, um, I think quickly realise that you uh, have to devote a lot of time, mental energy, finances, etc., to the business, but a lot of yourself as well. And, you know, not everything is always okay. Some people have to deal with difficulty and challenges. Some people have to deal with tragedy. Uh, I know um, in your case, your brother, uh, Michael, unfortunately passed. Mm. Um, that must have been a huge life-altering event. How does something like that shape you as an individual and your drive? And how can you sort of turn some of those experiences into a positive experience on your business journey? I think living up to kind of almost unreasonable expectations could be could have come from that. So Michael, um, just for context, was the youngest Brit to ever reach the summit of Mount Everest. Uh, he was 22, so a year younger than Bear Grylls, who did it the year after. 
uh, or the year before, sorry. So, you know, he, he for a year before. So for a period, Mike became the youngest Brit. Uh, and then unfortunately that record was lost, um, you know, a few hours later. Um, but he was also, he was an overachiever in many ways. Um, and he, he was very different to me, by the way. He's not a massively outspoken person. You know, he, he was very modest, you know, and, and you know, just, just kind of a, a calm, very loving individual from what I'm told anyway. I was, I was 10 when he passed. So I knew him in the sense that I loved him, um, but I wasn't, um, I obviously didn't know uh, the, you know, uh, the, the details of his, kind of who he was and his character other than he was an amazing brother. But he was a very successful um, trader, like a very successful trader in the city. He, he, he had, you know, I won't go into too much detail, but he had made, you know, a really significant, you know, kind of, you could call it a fortune, like before, at that age, before he, before he, and it was just, you know, I always grew up thinking how impressive that was and just how brave he was to even go to Everest at that age. You know, Everest now, and I can tell you about it because I've just come back from, from base camp. I was there for, for, for five and a half weeks. Um, recently, we, you know, anyway, I'll go into it in just a sec. But Everest in 1999 was incredibly different to Everest today. And all of the kit, you know, was just, uh, you know, very different, very heavy, you know, and operationally different, right? So also, you know, being able to predict the weather, et cetera, it, it was, was tougher back then. So the risk of climbing the mountain was significantly higher. So for a 22-year-old kid to, to do it, when no other kid of that age had ever done it before from, from this country, I, I thought it was just very powerful. And, and you know, recently um, I was just there, um, uh, I made a film about recovering his body, and it'll be on on, on Disney Plus um, early next year. And, and um, you know, Bear Grylls was involved as a producer, and you know, the, the whole thing was, was very powerful for me. And you know, I've probably never felt closer to him uh, than, than I have, you know, in, in recent times. But I think him losing his life in that way um, probably contributed to to. to me wanting to do big things with my life, right? I think you're a product of your surroundings, you know, when you're growing up and, you know, you're brought up by parents. And, you know, I, I feel that, you know, growing up, I had a, a wonderful childhood full of love, but, you know, my father is, you know, is quite a hard northerner, right? His father was a, was a coal miner and, and you know, the, the kind of family became successful, I guess, under him, right? Before him, there was, there was nothing. So he is a is a very interesting and and well thought through entrepreneur who I've learned a lot from and you know I love my dad um, but it, you know just we we grew up in a in a very um, you know try not to say it you know you know we, we basically you know as as a kid weakness was you know over overshadowed with you know it, it wasn't really fully acceptable to be weak right so I feel. Um, that I've always had these high goals and high expectations of myself because I've always wanted to drive myself, you know, through walls to be the biggest and best thing that I can be. And that was only possible through sobriety. Well, it, well, it was born out of my own sobriety. Um, and, you know, I was looking to plug a hole, you know, in, in my own life. So I drank to excess uh, pretty regularly, uh, both professionally and for fun. 
um, you know, throughout the course of my 20s, I was a, I was a city broker at ICAP, um, you know, very ordinary to, to drink high levels of alcohol whilst entertaining clients. Um, and then, essentially, I, it began to take a toll on my health, I felt, you know, and, and, and more importantly, almost than that to me, was I began to feel um, that my full potential was kind of slipping away. And that, that, it worried me, right? I've always had really high expectations uh, of myself. I've always been really ambitious um, without ever really having a plan, right? So just, just kind of growing up, I always wanted to, to do something exciting or do something interesting. And, and I kind of, you know, never felt fully fulfilled um, in my um, passion to kind of drive that desire. You know? And you talked about your sobriety in a way um, uh, giving you this sense of uh, enlightenment and unlocking extra dimensions uh, in your life, uh, Klinko, of course, being one of them. What are the other things that it unlocked? The change in my life was... It's almost difficult to describe, right? And I, I've kind of done a poor job with it in the past as describing it as kind of driving a very fast car with the handbrake on, you know, and, and like just, just kind of struggling to get to where you want to get to, you know, because I'm a, I want to do everything yesterday, right? I, I'm a, I'm a, I, I set myself strange pace, right? And, and if I'm not fully with it, I can't keep up with myself almost. So it's kind of, um, sobriety made me clearer, more driven, more ambitious. Above all, it gave me more hours in my day, right? That's the biggest thing I noticed. Like, you're just not wasting... And I'm not saying that people who drink alcohol are, are wasting time, you know, because I'm sure you're having very meaningful relationships with your family or your friends, and that's not a problem. I'm talking about drinking to excess, becoming drunk, not being able to fully function or operate. That's a problem, right? So, so for me... Um, uh, it, it unlocked a new dimension in the sense that I had more time and clarity to achieve the things that I want to achieve, right? So uh, the average person in the UK spends 252 hours hungover every year. Yeah. Um, I'd say I was a lot more than that, right? Yeah, 252 hours. Um, and so our, our most recent messaging with the business is some say we sell, you know, the average person spends 252 hours hungover per year. Some say we sell non-alcoholic spirits. We say we sell time, yes. right? And, and I was in Shoreditch yesterday. Um, I'm not a TikToker. <laughs> uh, but, but the business does now have TikTok because I think it's absolutely essential that we, yeah. we eventually get on board with it. Um, and, you know, I went around just asking strangers in the street, you know, what would you do with a spare 252 hours? And... I think it's quite thought-provoking, right? It's a long time. It's 10 and a half days, right? So you're adding 10 and a half days to your year. You could start a side hustle with, in that time, right? Um, you could learn a new language. You could take up Brazilian jiu-jitsu and probably achieve your blue belt in that time. You know, become a really proficient martial artist. You know, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Fun stuff that you, you may feel like you don't have the time. Um, and I think that concept of selling time is more exciting at this stage of our growth than selling non-alcoholic spirits. And of course, that's what we sell, right? But I think it's more thought-provoking to, to, to give you back your morning. You, you do strike me as the sort of person who has that sense of focus and drive. What about people who don't necessarily um, have as much of that or haven't honed it in the same way that you have? 
what's your advice to um, those folk who think, do you know what, I would, I'd love to kind of break out of the kind of routine nine to five and follow my passions, you know, create something, but I just don't feel like I'm that sort of person. Um, maybe set yourself a physical challenge. Mm. You know, just thinking about it, sorry, I haven't considered the question before that, but, you know, I find that, you know, creating hardship you know, in your life, or perhaps you have already lived through hardship. I think it's all helpful, right? But, you know, for me, as I said, who had, you know, a, a nice childhood for all intents and purposes, um, you know, minus the death of my brother, um, it's important to set yourself challenges to really figure out who you are. And so I know that a lot of what I'm saying sounds a bit wishy-washy and a bit kind of, you know, emotional, but it's, you know, if you take, if you take the Marathon de Sable as an example, right, I had, I had no business being there at all, right? I'm not an elite athlete, mm. uh, you know, I'm not an ultra runner, you know. Um, and, you know, when I went sober, all of these things began to feel like they could be in reach, whereas before I would just immediately dismiss them as, well, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, why would you want to run, you know, 250 kilometers yeah. in the Sahara Desert? That's dumb, you know, like, like what, kind of, what kind of a person do you have to be to do that? And all of a sudden you begin to, to realize and understand, um, what drives people to do these things? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, my, my advice to people would be, put yourself out of your comfort zone. It doesn't matter if you fail. Like, like you know, of course, if it's going to drain your time and be a detriment to your family, and, you know, then, then, then perhaps, you know, consider it. But those who don't take risks will not be rewarded, mm. right? And I feel that, you know, the Marathon de Saab for me was a perfect example of, of something that I knew was going to be incredibly difficult. I knew it, I would come close to breaking point. But surviving it and pushing through it, you know, meant that I felt that anything is achievable. Right. So you've grown such a, a successful business. Congratulations. Thanks. If you had the magic wand and could turn back time, what would be the one thing you would do differently? Ah, it's kind of hard to... It's hard to, to change, you know, a formula that I've kind of fallen, fallen in love with, I suppose. I guess I would have trusted my gut more. Like, not all advice is, is fantastic advice. Um, you know, I think when I first started, I knew so little that, you know, I was kind of like, what should we do here? Or what should we do there? To, to people who I thought knew better. And, of, and of course, um, you know, it's not always the right thing to do. I think I would have, you know, breathed, just slowed it down a bit, you know, uh, achieved a greater level of consistency before launch, you know, uh, we were <laughs> we were making pretty significant changes like throughout the period that we launched in, um, and then I think just you know not running before you can walk, mm. right? Just understanding a reasonable time frame for delivery of what you think you can deliver, because I think people are so used to seeing you know an almost hockey stick grow. You know, I think I think slower, steadier growth. Is appreciated by everyone you know unless of course you get lucky and you know the tides change and you suddenly have some massive mad 10x year great no yeah. problem super we all want that right but i think particularly in today's macroeconomic climate setting reasonable expectations for a business even if you have to like resize it and rethink it people appreciate it you, you do but what did you find worked best for clean clean co without spending millions of pounds in advertising money I mean, social media, right, is, is, is free advertising. It depends how you uh, want to do it and how, you know, of, co of course, it's not free if you want to, you know, do large professional shoots, but also, 
you know, social media gives you the ability to talk to people, you know, without uh, knowing them, without having access to them. So it's a huge marketing tool. It's in fact the only thing I see it as, right? I don't see Instagram as an insight into my life. Like I couldn't care less, right? For me, it's a marketing tool. Um, and I use it to promote things and, and sell product, or not even sell product, just make people aware of, of what we're doing, right? And it's interesting. Um, I think, you know, when I started Cleanco, it's probably the only time that I've been happy about some of the questionable decisions I've made in, in television, uh, because I think it's, it was important, right, to have some kind of profile. And I think it's, um, people really listened. You know, I was so, and I don't, I, I don't mind saying, I don't really get nervous, right? Like, I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a nervy kind of person. When I created the first post to go out on the CleanCo account, I was freaking out. Like, like I was so nervous, right? Yeah. Because imagine, you know, you pour your heart and soul into this post about what, you've, what you know you're going to dedicate, you know, years of your life to, and just people don't care. And it, it was, it was nerve-wracking. Mm. It was worse than the Marathon de Sable, I'd say, right? Like, no, seriously, because like, if nobody responds to it or people don't care, or you post one of those things where you get, you know, 800 likes and yeah. three comments, what are you going to do? Yeah. Right? That, that, yeah. like, like, how else do you get it out? So, so for me, you know, fortunately, it was, you know, alarmingly well-received, and people, I think, could feel the passion, and that's yeah. a big thing. Um, but for others, you know, I think... Um, you know, gifting is fantastic. Influencers, although I hate to say it, is is is, is a really good way to, to to move stuff. You know, people can work on revenue shares now, so you don't even need to. You know, it's not going to positively impact your top line per se, but it will grow awareness of your brand. Gifting, you know, if you're able to create a product and, and get it in the hands of, of, of people who you think might be able to help you or you think might love your product, you know, based on their profile, try and get it in the hands. You know, you wanna you wanna try and make as much noise as possible. We are on social media. How exciting. You can find us on Instagram at my mum made me pod. You'll get us on Facebook at my mum made me, Twitter at mum made me, and even TikTok at my mum made me. Why follow us on socials? Well, you're going to get extra bits from the show. You're going to be able to see our guests on video and, of course, watch their reactions to my mum's lovely and sometimes a little bit weird voice notes. So give us a like and a follow.